Thank you so much, praise team, for the beautiful prelude this morning. Uh, and morning. Good morning, and welcome to all of you that are gathered here in the sanctuary with us today, and 
especially those listening on radio and watching us on Facebook Live. I have several announcements before we start our service this morning. This next Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, uh, July 28th, we're going to have our next wonderful Wednesday meal. Please invite your friends and neighbors to join us, or you can pick up a meal for someone who might like one. This is open to the public, and it runs from 6 to 7 p.m., and the menu is chicken sandwiches, macaroni salad, salad, chips, and cookies. So I hope to see a lot of you there and take advantage of this. Congratulations are in order for Marshall and Haley Miller on the birth of their daughter, Eloise, on Thursday, July 22nd. She arrived a few weeks early at 4 pounds, 13 ounces, but is doing well, and hopefully she'll be home real soon to see her brother and sister. There's going to be a praise and prayer night here at the church on August 15th at 7 p.m. The community is invited to attend for a time of worship, prayer, and music led by our praise team. At this time, I'd like to ask Pastor Joel to come forward with one other announcement. Thanks, Jack. Just want to draw your attention to one of the announcements that are, is in your bulletin. Uh, you see there's one that says heating system update um, on the second page of announcements there. Uh, this week, we were the recipients of a gift, a special gift, and we're able to pay off the remaining $19,000 on our the interest-bearing portion of our heating system loan. So I just want to take a moment as part of our worship service this morning to just praise God for his faithfulness, for his provision. And, uh, and it's just wonderful. As of this week, that interest-bearing part is paid off. For those of you who know, in 2019, we asked you to consider, perfectly consider giving towards this project, um, anticipating it would be kind of a five-year um, uh, capital campaign to pay off this loan for the new heating system. And it's amazing to be less than three years into that and say that, you know, that part is paid off. And we are so grateful to, to God for his provision, his faithfulness, and certainly your generosity to make that happen. Um, there are still projects to come, uh, coming down the, the, the pike as kind of as a result of this heating system project. We need to repair plaster here in the church as well as, you know, um, uh, repaint many of the, a lot of the church here. So uh, if you are like me, still have some of your pledge outstanding, I encourage you to continue to give um, towards those projects so that we can continue to take care of and be good stewards of, these, of this building that God has entrusted us with. So, um, but first of all, this morning, let's take time to thank God, praise him for his faithfulness, his provision for us through this project. And thank you for your generosity through it all. Thank you, Joel. There are numerous other announcements in your bulletin. I encourage you to take time to look them over and see if any would be of interest to you. At this time, those who are able, would you please rise and follow along with me our call to worship this morning. This morning is taken from Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Please remain standing for our praise song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus.
You may be seated. Now will the children come forward for the children chat with Maria? Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. I think I see somebody coming down from upstairs, so we're going to wait just one minute. So how are you guys today? Good? That's good. Come over here. You are. You're right here by me, and you look sharp today with your tie on. You're looking handsome. It's got sharks on it. Oh, my goodness. That is so cool. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. So I have a question. Are you guys having a good summer? Awesome. All right. What does it mean to be courageous? Are you ever courageous? You're not? Are you courageous? You you don't know because you don't know what it means? (laughs) Do you know what courageous means? Courageous means you're not afraid. That you're strong. Like soldiers are courageous. Okay? So, in Revelations, it talks about how the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes to the churches. Well, it also talks in the Scripture in Revelation 2.17 about manna. Do you guys remember what manna is? Manna was the food that God sent down to the Israelites when they were wandering around in the desert. So it was like food. Okay? So, that we need to understand that in order to understand what we're talking about here today. So, what do I have here? Rocks. You can have one. What color are these rocks? They're white, aren't they? Yeah? There are all kinds of rocks. Do you have this kind of rocks in your driveway? No? You have tiny ones? Everybody have one? All right. Well, there are rocks in our driveways. There are rocks all over the place, right? Yep. Yep. Millie has one. So, a long time ago, there was a Roman gladiator. Luke, do you have one? Oh, there you go. All right. Does everyone have one now, Grant? Okay, good. All right. So, a long time ago, there were Roman gladiators. They were like soldiers. They were really courageous. And if they were brave and they fought hard, they would get a white stone with some special letters on it. Well, I just got the special white stones. Mine don't have letters on. But... This was a special stone, and when that special white stone was given to a soldier, it was like a medal. Have you ever seen our servicemen and women? They have all those medals on their chest. Well, this was kind of like one of those medals, and it would mean that he could retire, that he didn't have to go into battle anymore. And the Bible says, To him who overcomes, I will give a share of the hidden manna, and I will give to him a white Stone, and written on the stone a new name which no one but him who receives it knows. Just think, what would it be like if you got a stone on from, from Jesus 
and it had your name on it. That way Jesus knows you. Do you think you can write Herschel on there? Maybe. Maybe. You can? Oh, I bet we can try. Okay. Well, I want you to pretend that your rock has your name on it. And you got your rock from God. Because you are special to God. Okay? Because he loves you very much. That has your name on it. It's like your special medal for being courageous. And being brave. And going out into the world and telling everybody about Jesus. Okay? So... When you get home, you do. You get to keep them as long as you're good with them. Okay? So, we're going to keep our rock, and we're going to put it someplace, and we're going to remember that this rock is like a medal from Jesus for being courageous and going out and sharing Jesus with the people around us. Okay? All right, let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for these children. Thank you for their eagerness to learn about you. Help us to be faithful and courageous so that when we go out, other people can see you in the things that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Amen. Amen. Thanks, kids. Thanks, Miss Maria, for that wonderful children's chat. So we turn our attention to the offering this morning. Just want to encourage you to to lift up um, the those in need fund in your prayers this morning. That's what the offering is going to go towards this morning. For those of you who aren't aware, the those in need fund at our church is a way for us to help people within our church family and even within our community when uh, needs come up that they are not able to meet themselves. It's a it's a very important, very very necessary fund, uh, and we're very grateful as a church family to have these resources to be able to bless those within our church family and in the larger community uh, when they need that. Um, I, I've, when we've had opportunities to use this fund in the past, I always try to remind people that, yes, this is, for, practically speaking, this is First Church meeting your need, but, but more importantly, this is the Lord providing for you through us. And so the offering today is going to go in support of that fund, and I encourage you to give as you are able to give this morning. Um, I also want to highlight as we transition into prayer after our time of worship this morning, I want to encourage you to be praying for those upcoming events you heard Jack talk about this morning. Uh, the, the, the next wonderful Wednesday is coming up this Wednesday, and that's an opportunity for us to gather as a church family uh, to share a meal together. But I also want to encourage you to think about who you can invite to be a part of that doesn't necessarily have to be someone who, who quote-unquote needs a meal, but it could just be an opportunity to invite a friend, a neighbor, a family member to come and just share a meal with you uh, here at the church on Wednesday. And of course, if you can't uh, be here, you can always have those, you know, pick up a meal and take it with you. Um, also want to encourage you to be in prayer for the, worship, the praise and prayer night coming up here on August 15th. I'm really looking forward to, to an opportunity for us as a church family to gather together um, in a little less formal way than we do on Sunday mornings in order to worship God together as the body of Christ. 
And just as with Wonderful Wednesday, there's, that event is open to the public as well. So invite friends, invite family, invite neighbors to come. And I'm really looking forward to an opportunity to worship God in a more uh, extended way um, through that praise and prayer night. So I invite, encourage you to be thinking about who you can invite to both Wonderful Wednesday and the praise and prayer night coming up in a couple weeks. With that being said, we're, we're blessed to have Erica and Sharon lead us in our special music this morning. I invite the deacons to come forward to collect the offering at this time. When the best of me is barely breathing, when I'm not somebody I believe in, hold on to me. When I miss the light, the night is stolen. When I'm slamming all the doors you've opened, hold on to me. Hold on to me. Hold on to me. Most gracious. 
Amen. Amen. I invite you to remain standing if you're able as we sing our next praise song together. Raise a hallelujah. Sing a little 
Jesus, you are alive and you are our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord, we are here this morning to praise you and to worship you. Um, We lift up your name on high because you are certainly worthy of all of our praise and our worship today. Lord Jesus, we can can come to you now because you know you you hold us in the palm of your hand, that you guide us, you, you see us through whatever joys and sorrows we experience in this life. And we know that you hold on to us and that you are faithful even as we struggle with fear and doubt and uncertainty. And so we thank you, Lord, for the, the good promises of your word that, that remind us that you'll never leave nor forsake your people. And that all of, our, all of your promises, God, are fulfilled in Christ. That he is the yes and the amen. And it is in him that we put our hope. And so we lift up our, our concerns to you as well this morning, Lord. We pray for all those names that are represented in our bulletin and the prayers and concerns list. And in each unique situation that is there, Lord, we pray for your will to be done, for you to provide, for you to bring healing, and that you would be glorified even in our hardships, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to give back to you this morning and pray, Lord, that you would bless the offering we collected and that you would use it to be a blessing uh, to people in our church family and our community through the Those in Need Fund. We also pray for Wonderful Wednesday coming up. We pray that you would uh, provide, uh, Lord, that, that we thank you for the opportunity to gather and share a meal together and ask, Lord, that for your blessing upon that time. And I do pray, Lord, that, that many would come and be a part of it, that you would, you would draw people here for a time of fellowship, a time of encouragement, and a time to simply just share a meal together, to break bread, Lord, as, as, a, as a community, as a church family. Uh, Lord, we also want to pray for those in authority over us, as your word calls us to pray. Lord, we should be praying for our, our leaders in our, in our church, our community, our nation, and our world. And Lord, uh, I know that times we have not done that as we should have, and I have not done that as I should have. So I ask for your forgiveness, Lord, in that. And ask, Lord, for your um, blessing to be upon our, our leaders, Lord. Um, we pray that this, this day for our national leaders, we pray for our president, pray for Congress, we pray for the Supreme Court, and all those that work in and through those gov- branches of government, Lord. And we ask for your wisdom for them, and we ask that they would have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness, Lord, and that they would be filled as your word promises. Uh, and we ask, Lord, um, that, that we as a church, not just First Church of New Knoxville, but your church here in this country would be an uh, example and a beacon of light, Lord, that draws people to you. We ask, Lord, all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And you may be seated. is from Revelations 2, verses 18 through 29. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, 
whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So, I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Thank you, Anita. I encourage you to pray with me again at this time. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that we have an opportunity to gather together as your body here in this place and to worship you and now to open your word together. Thank you that we have been able to, to study the book of Revelation together, um, looking, focusing in on chapters 2 and 3 this summer. And as we, as we take a look at what you had to say to the church in Thyatira, Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this morning. And may you give me words to speak, uh, words of encouragement and, and edification and hope this morning. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I don't know if any of you happened to, to venture past the parsonage on Friday night. In fact, it's, you can still see evidence of it this morning. But we decided to have a little bit of a backyard camp out on Friday night as a family. Uh, we we set up the tent in the backyard. Uh, we even did an outdoor movie night uh, on the side on the garage door. It was it was fantastic. You know, we we decided to do this as a family, and we thought it was a great idea at the time. Um, a late night with the kids. Uh, if you know, in the summer, the sun sets later, so we didn't even start the movie until after 9 o'clock. I think we went into the tent about 11, and it was about midnight when we finally got Miles to settle down and hopefully go to, and finally go to sleep. It was a great time, and, and I, have, I, I think in my life it was the most literal application of the phrase, you make your bed, now lie in it, that I've ever experienced in my life, right? We, we knew what we were getting ourselves into. You get what you ask for, and in this case, it was worth it. The late night and the lack of sleep are worth it for the memories that were made. And I'm especially grateful that we didn't camp out last night in those thunderstorms. Um, sometimes, however, we set ourselves up for disaster and have to deal with the reality of those consequences. As we've been studying the book of Revelation and these letters to the churches, I'm sure you've noticed that that there's been a little bit of a progression as we've gone through them. This is now the fourth letter that we're going to look at here this morning. 
And for those of you who aren't up on your, your ancient Near East geography, all of these seven churches are, are located within the same area of Asia Minor. And in fact, uh, it was likely that a, a messenger was given this letter, not just the individual letters, but the entire book of Revelation, to bring and to share with these churches in order. Starting with Ephesus, you can actually kind of make a clockwise path that follows uh, all seven of these churches in the area. And it was likely that this letter was read to, in its entirety, to all of the churches. So the letter to the church in Ephesus wasn't just for the church in Ephesus. It was for all of the churches to hear. The same with the church in Sardis and and the church in Thyatira. And as I said, there's a progression that's kind of been taking place in the background. As we look at each individual church, there's a message for them. But as we look at the churches as a whole, we see a progression taking place. For example, in the first letter, Jesus commends them for hating the teachings of the Nicolaitans, these false teachers that were prevalent in the area. In the third letter, he tells them, he warns them that they're holding on to the teaching of the Nicolaitans as they are also holding on to the teachings of Christ. Here in the fourth letter, we see an an escalation of that same theme. Not only are they don't hate the teaching anymore, they're not just holding on to it, but they are now tolerating the false teachers and even sin within the church. And we'll see this progression continue next week when we look at the church in Sardis, which which is from outward appearances seems alive, but is truly dead on the inside. And so we are, we're looking at the effect, in other words, that sin has on church and on the individuals in the church. And so let's take a look at the situation uh, at the church in Thyatira and see what we can learn from it. Let's start with the good. Each one of these letters begins with a description of Jesus and something that he recognizes and sees in them. And here in this case, he recognizes their good works. You see them in verse 19. He says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first, right? That sounds great. It sounds like there's a lot of good things happening within the church. And from one perspective, there probably was, right? There was a lot of good things that they were doing, a lot of good that they were probably doing maybe in the community and and caring for each other. And it even says that these things increased over time, right? Wouldn't that be great if If Jesus were to look at First Church and notice things that we're doing and and notice that we are moving in the right direction, that's a great thing to have happen. However, as you will see as we go through this letter, and you've already heard it read in in its entirety, their good works, unfortunately, don't make up for the idolatry that they're allowing to exist in their midst. You've heard the phrase that the ends justify the means. Well, I think here what Jesus is trying to teach them is that the means don't justify the ends. They were doing good things. They were accomplishing good things. But they were allowing sin, they were allowing false teaching to exist in their midst. And just because they were doing good stuff doesn't excuse the laxity that they had in terms of of tolerating the sin that existed there. God does not evaluate on a scale like Lady Justice. You guys have seen the statues of Lady Justice, right? This ancient Greek depiction of, of uh, what our justice system is supposed to look like. It's a, it's a lady with a blindfold on and she's holding a scale in one hand. And, and the idea there is, you know, the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds or the bad deeds outweigh the good deeds, right? 
But God doesn't operate on that sort of scale. He doesn't look at our lives and, and he doesn't tally up our good deeds versus our bad deeds and then judge us accordingly as if as long as we have one more good deed than one bad deed, one more good deed than we have bad deeds, then we'll be fine. That's not the way that God operates. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't grade on that sort of scale. The fact that they tolerated immorality and idolatry in their midst did not cover, was not covered up by the good works that they were doing. And so then Jesus goes on to, to explain the situation that's happening in the church. They were giving in to idolatry and immorality. He says that they were tolerating Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. The word tolerate there, to, to simplify, it could mean to, they're allowing her to exist. They're allowing that teaching and that sin to exist. And they didn't stop it from taking root there in the church. Tolerance is a buzzword in our culture, isn't it? In, our, in a cultural sense, from a secular perspective, to tolerate something is to not pass judgment at all. Right, to accept it, to accept everything as equally valuable and equally valid. To dismiss any notion of right or wrong, of good or of evil. That's the kind of tolerance that our world wants us to have. But, but doing so, tolerating everything as equally valid and, and, and removing any sort of, um, deconstructs any sort of standard for truth that we might have. If we buy into that definition of tolerance, then there is no solid ground to stand on anymore whatsoever. Nothing is wrong, nothing is bad, and therefore nothing is good and right and true either. You can't have one without the other. And it's very, very telling that the church in Thyatira tolerated Jezebel. Jesus is very clear here that her teaching is not neutral. There, there, there's not... He's not saying that all teachings are equally valid here. He's very clear of the danger that false teaching, that, that promoting sin and idolatry can create. And there are dire consequences for those that follow her. Now, who's Jesus referring to here? Uh, referring to with the term Jezebel. Now, obviously, there probably wasn't an individual in the church named Jezebel. Just like in the last letter with a reference to Balaam, uh, he's using an Old Testament figure to try to highlight what's really happening there. And Jezebel, in, in First and Second Kings, was the wife of King Ahab. And King Ahab was, along with Jezebel, were one of the worst rulers in all of Israel. Not only did they reject God and the worship of him, they also promoted and encouraged people to worship Baal and Astra, these false gods that were popular among the Canaanite people. In fact, one of the, I think one of the best Old Testament stories of, of a, the prophet Elijah facing down the 300 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, right? That happened under Jezebel's watch. They were her prophets that she was supporting and encouraging. And Jezebel, who was a, a woman from outside of Israel who brought these practices in, right? She married into the royal family and and her husband Ahab followed her leading. It had a, she had a very powerful negative impact on Ahab, on Israel as a whole, on her family. And so Jesus is using this Old Testament figure as a way to illustrate what's happening within the church. This church that is 
encouraging Christians to tolerate sin and pagan practices. She calls herself a prophet and she teaches. So this person is likely a leader in the local church. This wasn't some outside influence or outside source. This was the call is coming from within the house, right? This was someone in the church having this sort of negative impact on the believers. And she, she claims to, to be a teacher. She claims to be a prophet, but ultimately she deceives. Like the adulterous woman that is described in Proverbs, she promises pleasure, joy, fulfillment, but only gives death. I mentioned last week that sexual immorality and idolatry are two of the uh, keynote foundational sins you see throughout Scripture. I don't mean that in a good way, right? I mean, I mean they are prevalent among God's people from the very beginning through the book of Revelation. They plagued God's people for, for, throughout human history. And those particular sins are, are pretty representative of uh, the basic needs and temptations that people experience. Right? Sexual immorality is, is kind of a, a way to talk about the, the experience of physical pleasure in this world, material pleasure. While idolatry is, is something that people often look to for a sense of identity and purpose. So two kind of different yet similar realms that, that people can, can look to and people often struggle with in that area of temptation. But the promises of sin are ultimately empty. They promise pleasure, but it only lasts for a moment. It promises fulfillment and joy, but it only leads to death. In Psalm 135, the psalmist says this about idols and about those false pleasures. Well, first of all, he says, I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth and in the seas and all their depths. He makes clouds rise to the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from the storehouses. Then if you skip down to verse 15, he says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is their breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Notice the, the contrast that's being put out there. God is the true, living, powerful creator of the universe. All these idols are nothing. There is, they, they have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They are literally deaf and dumb and mute. But notice what he says there in that last verse. Those who make them will be like them, so all who trust in them. These idols may be nothing, but how we interact with them, what we do with them, does affect us. If we worship idols, we'll, we, we will become like what we worship. If we give in to temptation and sin, that will become a part of who we are. The people in this church are no longer just flirting with sin, but they're actively involved in it. So there's three things here. Now that we know the, the situation that's going on in the church, there's three things that I think Jesus is trying to teach us here in this passage. One is that sin has destructive consequences both for individuals and for churches. God's very clear here that, that Jezebel, this, this false teacher within the church, is having a negative impact in the community. But notice here that he also is very clear that she will experience judgment. God says that, the, the letter says that she will be cast into her bed. In other words, God is going to allow her to experience the consequences of her actions. 
we often think of God as a cosmic killjoy, right? He's just trying to ruin all our fun. He's trying to ruin our pleasure and our experience in this life. But God knows what we truly need. He knows what's best for us. And he knows that sin and idolatry, anything that leads us away from God will ultimately lead us to death. In James 1, verses 13 through 15, he talks about the progression that sin has in our lives, that that when we're tempted, it leads to sin, and then when we give in to sin, it leads ultimately to death. Author C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, said, There are two kinds of people in this world, those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says, All right then, have it your way. That's, that's, the kind of, that's what happens when we engage in sin, when we choose to live that way. God allows us to experience the consequences of those actions. Jesus even says here that all those who commit adultery with her will suffer the same sort of fate. Adultery is, is a common metaphor throughout Scripture for spiritual idolatry. God is the loving husband and sinners are like the unfaithful wife who constantly betray his love, and his provision. It speaks to the personal relationship we're called to have with God. And so part of God's judgment and sin is that he allows us to experience the consequences of those actions. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Everything happens for a reason, and sometimes the reason is we're dumb and we make bad decisions, right? We experience the reality of that. Or to put it another way, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, Beginning in verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity and so on and so forth. Notice there, God gave them over. It's not that God forced that upon them. God just allowed them to experience the consequences of their decisions. And so part of God's punishment for sin is allowing us to experience that. But make no mistake, God does punish sin ultimately. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Right? That's what we've earned for ourselves. And we're all in the same boat. It's what we deserve apart from the saving grace and mercy of Christ. The truth is there are millions of people in this world right, that are outside of Christ. And that will be their experience of eternity. They will spend an eternity in hell unless they receive the gospel and trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Unreached people groups across the world, yes, but also neighbors in our own community. Right, that need to hear the gospel, that need to know the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ, because apart from that, they are lost. So the first thing we need to learn here is that, that sin is destructive consequences for individuals and churches. But the second thing is just as important, that there is no one beyond God's grace to save. The two, the two people, the two kinds of people that are described here are the, the false teachers personified by Jezebel, Right? but also those who follow them and, and live a life of sin following their teaching. In both of them, it says here, Jesus gives them time to repent. Don't miss that. Even Jezebel, even this false teacher, says if she will not repent, or if they do not repent, 
Even for them, there is an opportunity. No one is beyond God's grace. Jesus' mercy extends even to his enemies. As he was being nailed to the cross, what did Jesus say? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yes, we are all sinners in need of a Savior, but Jesus' grace is bigger than our sin, and we can experience that for ourselves if we trust in him. What does true repentance look like? It includes confession, owning up to mistakes, both intentional and unintentional. Don't avoid it. Don't pass the blame. Accept the responsibility. But it also includes turning towards Christ. We're not just saved from sin. We're saved into a relationship with God, to know him, to love him, to serve him, to live like him. And it's an ongoing attitude, not a one-time decision. Do you want to see individuals on fire for God? Do you want to see spiritual awakening in our church, in our community, in our world? Do you want to see churches on the right track and living out their God-given purpose and mission in the world? It, include, it, it starts with and is always about learning to repent, with, starting within the body of Christ and within the leadership of this church and in all churches, right? It's, leadership must set the example. Repentance is an ongoing attitude. And finally, we see the last thing I want us to learn here, I think God wants us to learn here, is that God and his word are the standard of truth for us. Again, I think the descriptions of Jesus in each one of these passages is important. It tells us something. And here Jesus is described in all of his glory and majesty. All right, look back at verse 18. You see Jesus described as this, as, as, as this glory-filled, majestic person. Contrast that with the, the, the emptiness of the idols and the destruction that sin causes, right? The description of Jesus leaves no doubt that he truly is the son of God. And the battle against sin and worldly temptations is not won through sheer will power or, or pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. The way that we are victorious over sin is by being captivated by the beauty and majesty of Christ to realize that he is the son of God and that he is able to meet the deepest longings of our hearts. So Jesus says to hold on to what we have. Hold on to him because he is everything. He is the faithful one. And he is the one who will come again. And that's the encouragement right there. there that's the hope. Hope to hold on in our present circumstances, knowing that evil does not win in the end. And that any temptation we experience in this life is only temporary. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus. Right? The second coming is, is an essential doctrine and encourages us to remain faithful in the present because, no, Jesus can return at any moment to establish his kingdom. In closing, as, as, we, as we wrap up our time here, and I want to invite the, uh, our, to prepare for our closing song, um, we, we see here that the, the reward for those who are victorious is to participate with Jesus in eternity, to be with him, to... Uh, to rule alongside of him. We share in the reward that Jesus receives from his Father because we share also in his righteousness, his glory, and yes, his sufferings. And it says that those who are victorious will receive the morning star, which is a reference to Jesus himself. Jesus is the morning star. He is the one we receive, and he is our reward for remaining faithful. Not money, not joy, not perfect health, not fulfillment in this life or meaning or purpose. Our reward for remaining faithful is Christ himself, and he is worth it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you, uh, Lord God, that you give us victory in our battle against sin. 
um, not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done for us, Lord. Help us to hold on to you. Help us to not give in to temptation, but to, to look to you to, to rescue us from the evil one. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and let's close our, sing our closing song together. to him who is able to keep you from falling 
and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. You may go in peace. Thank you.